0: Amen. Amen. In part four of our series today, we're going to talk about the law of sowing and reaping. This passage in Galatians, if you read it this week, you discovered that it is in the context of giving. Paul's specifically talking about supporting ministry, supporting ministers, saying that the minister is worthy of his pay. But we're not going to look at it just through this giving lens. We do that a lot in like an offering time. We'll use these verses and talk about them. And they're very appropriate in that context. But I think there's also a broader universal truth that is being taught here. that, That sowing and reaping is not just about money. That we can sow a whole lot of things. We can sow kindness and reap kindness. We can sow... Uh, gentleness and reap gentleness. We can sow encouragement and reap encouragement. We can sow peace and reap peace. We can sow prayer and reap prayer. We can sow selflessness and reap selflessness. On the contrary, we can sow sarcasm and reap sarcasm. We can sow negativity and reap negativity. We can sow discouragement and reap discouragement. We can sow criticism and reap criticism. Right? Like what we re- what we sow is what we are going. To reap, this is a universal law that God has created. In fact, pretty much all my life as a believer, I've heard this taught in in three specific applications made of this passage, and I think these applications are true, I think they're important, and I'm going to share them with you today. In fact, I've shared these three before. However, what I felt like God showed me this week is that there's two spiritual applications of sowing and reaping that are left out of this message. And so this message that, that has been taught in many circles, I don't even know who I stole it from, I don't know who they stole it from, like this thing's been passed. Down for a long time. Um, we're going to share those three, but we're going to give two more. So, today I'm going to give you five universal truths about sowing and reaping. Five things that the Bible teaches us about sowing and reaping. The first one is this you always reap what you sow, right? This is the obvious one. This is the, the, the clear one. This is the one that we almost don't even need to say, but we'll spell it out and make it explicit. You always reap what you sow. Tonight, for the potluck, I'm making jalapeno poppers. So yesterday, I cut up a whole lot of jalapenos, and I cored them, and did all this, and then I made the mistake of rubbing my eyeballs. So I'm a very smart person. Uh, If you've never rubbed your eyeballs after cutting jalapenos, don't. Uh, Let me just tell you that. Uh, So I got jalapenos on the brain, so we'll use jalapenos as an example. If you plant a jalapeno, you don't grow a pineapple, right? Right? We all know this, like there's no mystery when you sow a seed, hey, if I put this seed in the ground, what's going to grow? I don't plant a potato and grow a watermelon. There is a biological truth that what kind of seed I put in the ground is what kind of thing I'm going to grow. Now, obviously, there are exceptions to this, and the exception is if you're me and you put a seed in the ground, it just doesn't grow. Right? Uh, so I am not a green thumb. I am not capable of keeping things alive. It's amazing that I have a child that's made it to seven years old. That's the grace of God. Because uh, this, is, this is not my gift. Thankfully, God provided me with a wife who is much more of a green thumb and much better at keeping children alive, apparently, than I am. So, man, we, we're, we're making it. Uh, but if you know how to grow something, you're going to put something in the ground. That's what is going to grow. You don't plant a lime and grow a strawberry. It's just not the way it works. It's obvious. It's clear. It's almost so fundamental that it seems like it doesn't need to be said. But understand this. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap from the flesh. If you sow to the spirit, you will reap from the spirit. Not you might... Not you could, it's a universal truth that God created. He put it in the physical world, yes, to nourish us, yes, to feed us, yes, to sustain us, but he put it in the physical world to point to something he wanted us to understand about the spiritual world. What you plant is what you pick. We all understand this. You reap what you sow. Proverbs 11 puts it this way, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. We talked about last week as we talked about serving and getting involved, how God's kingdom is upside down. Right? How God says the Jesus says the key to greatness in his kingdom is to be a servant. That's the opposite of what we would expect. We see the servant as the lowest. We want to be served. But Jesus says if you want to be great, you have to serve. His kingdom seems upside down to us. The reality is it's our world that's upside down. And because of our brokenness, because of our fallenness, because of our sinful nature, we've reversed everything. And so God's kingdom seems foreign. Here's another principle in which God's kingdom seems foreign to us. He says if you give, you get. We think if we hold on, if we hoard, if we build up for ourselves, that's the key to prosperity. But he says the one who gives freely is the one who's going to receive freely, but the one who withholds is the one who's going to come to poverty. Then he says it this way. He says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Man, I love that last statement. Who are you refreshing, church? Church. The reality is we're at, what, month 22 or 23 or some ungodly month in this pandemic, right? I think there's a lot of us who need some refreshing right now. There's a lot of us who are weary. There's a lot of us who are frustrated. There's a lot of us who are over it, right? There's a lot of us who say, man, when is this thing ever going to end? We need some refreshing. God's word says the key to being refreshed is to refresh somebody else. First impressions team, when you, somebody walks in the door and you greet them with a smile on your face. Man, it's so good to see you. Thank you for coming today. You know what you're doing? You're refreshing somebody. On a rainy day when you go out to meet them with your umbrella and you get wet so they can stay dry, you know what you're doing? You're refreshing somebody. Man, that's powerful. You know what the promise is? That because you refresh somebody else, Jesus is going to refresh you. And can I tell you, his refreshing is a whole lot better than anybody else can give you. Man, it's the power of serving. Last week we talked about serving. If you weren't here or didn't get the card or already forgot the card or lost the card, we have them at each of our connection centers. We're asking you, take the next two weeks pray through what areas can I get involved in what would God lead me to do to serve in his church cuz I got a chance to refresh somebody else by serving in Kids City or the media team or the first impressions team or city groups whatever it may be and we're asking you don't forget about that find an opportunity to plug in and to serve so the first universal truth about sowing and reaping is that you always reap what you sow easy one number 2 you always reap more than you sow. This is the good one, right? This is, this is the great one. Man, you always get back more than you put in. Let's use one illustration. We'll use corn. Uh, when I was a kid growing up in Seattle, my family grew corn for a few years in our backyard, and, and it did pretty well. If you never had fresh corn straight off the cob, you're missing out. It's a powerful thing. It's a delicious thing. It's an awesome thing. You need to plant some corn and figure out how to make it grow. I can't tell you that, but I can tell you it's good. So you know what happens when you plant corn? You take one corn kernel, and you put it in the ground, and it grows a corn stalk, and when I did some research this week, a corn stalk, the average corn stalk only produces one ear of corn, which seems kind of insignificant, right? But you know how many kernels are on that one ear of corn? 800. Average year of corn, obviously, there might be a little more, a little less. I'll be honest with you, I didn't count. All right? I used Google. Uh, But roughly 800 kernels of corn come from that one kernel of corn. You know what that's called? That's called an awesome return on investment. If you could invest in a company $1 today and get $800 in six months, all of us would be signing up for that stock right now, right? That's an incredible return on investment. Well, in God's kingdom, the way he's designed it, you always reap more then you sow. Now, that principle of 1 to 800 doesn't work across every plant. Different ones produce different amounts of seeds, and it doesn't automatically convert 1 to 100 in God's kingdom either. The principle is you're always going to reap more than what you sow. Years ago, God laid it on our hearts, my wife and I, to give away a vehicle. We had a vehicle. There was somebody, a young man in our church, who didn't have a vehicle, who needed one. God said, You need to give him. This car. And so we invested this car in this young man, gave this car away, and in the, I think, 11 years since we've done that, we have been massively blessed when it comes to vehicles. In fact, there's a family in the building right now who gave us a vehicle a couple of years ago, invested a vehicle in us. There are others who have blessed us in numerous ways vehicle-wise. Back in 2015, Melody's boss sold us a truck for $1,000 that was worth probably about $6,000 at the time, Uh, gave us an incredible deal. We bought the vehicle for $1,000. I drove it for seven years. We sold it about two weeks ago for $4,500. After seven years of driving, we made $3,500 on that vehicle. We have been blessed time and time and time again in vehicles. Why? I believe because we sowed a vehicle. Right? You always reap more than what you sow. I don't say that for our glory. I don't say that to see what wonderful, generous people we are. I say that to say this isn't just some theological teaching that the Bible has. This is something I've actually seen play out in my life. That you are going to reap more than what you sow. Mark 10, Jesus puts it this way. He says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brother or mothers or sisters or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields Along with persecution, so this isn't just some prosperity teaching where everything's going to go great for you as long as you do the right things, every, your life is going to be perfect. That's not what the Bible teaches. But the Bible teaches you'll be blessed for doing the right things. It also teaches there's an enemy who's going to attack you for doing the right things, right? So I'm going to bless you with 100 times, but there's also going to be some persecution that comes with it. So understand this, just because something's going wrong in your life doesn't mean you screwed up. It might actually mean you're doing something right, Okay? Make sure that you understand that. Persecution's gonna come when we do the right things as well. And then he says, oh, by the way, and in the age to come, eternal life. In other words, God's blessing for those who sow good seed comes in this life and in the eternal life. It's not one or the other, it's both. This is the way he's designed it. Jesus puts it this way in the parable of the sower. In Matthew 13, it says, but the seed, again, using this agricultural illustration, the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding what? A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So there's this biblical principle, whatever is sown, it's gonna produce more than what was sown. 100 times over in Mark 10, 30, 60, or 100 times here in Matthew 13. It's not a direct numerical formula. It doesn't mean, hey, if you give $10, you're gonna get $300. It just means this, you're always gonna get more back than what you put into it. You're always going to get more time given back to you than what you served. You're always going to get more encouragement back than the way that you encourage. You're always going to get more refreshing back than the way that you refresh. There's always going to be more. This is my favorite one. Then we get to our least favorite one, number three. You always reap later than you sow. This is the one we don't like, right? Because this is the one that cuts against our culture. It cuts against our human nature. We want instant gratification, We want something now. We want to give in the offering today and go home and have a check in the mail this afternoon even though it's Sunday, right? Like We want God to supernaturally put that check in the mail even though the mail didn't run today. That's our expectation. I do something now. God's going to reward me for it now, but that's not the way God's kingdom works. It's not the way that agriculture works. I can't go plant that jalapeno today to make jalapeno poppers this afternoon, Right? You're not going to have anything at the potluck if that's how I try to make it happen, because there's not going to be anything that grows. I'm not even going to see any start of growth in that jalapeno today. There's a time delay. In fact, God's kingdom, upside down from ours, works on the principle of delayed gratification. This is so important to understand if you're going to follow Jesus, God's kingdom does not work on instantaneous gratification. And we live in a microwave culture, a fast food culture, a culture that wants everything now, which is why 21 days of Daniel fast is so hard for us and feels like 21 months because we are not used to depriving ourselves. We're used to wanting something in a moment, getting an urge, and meeting that urge instantaneously. But God's kingdom doesn't work that way. God's kingdom is built on delayed gratification. Why? Because delayed gratification requires faith. If the moment I do the right thing, I'm immediately rewarded for doing the right thing, it requires no faith at all. Right? I see it. I do it. Good things happen, obviously. It makes it easy to continue to do that thing. But God wants us to build faith. He wants us to learn to persevere. I believe many times that's why our prayers aren't answered instantaneously, because he wants to build our faith while we're waiting. You see, the enemy's kingdom works on instant gratification. In fact, Hebrews 11 puts it this way, talking about Moses. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter... He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin works on instant gratification. Sin meets my need in the moment. Sin gives me exactly what I want right now when I want it. Destruction comes later. The pain comes later. Sin is like this. This is what I heard my pastor teach and and illustrate this a long, long time ago. He said sin is like if you hit your thumb with a hammer and three months later your thumb started to hurt, right? The the, the pain of sin always shows up much later on, so you wouldn't realize it, and you might hit your thumb with a hammer many more times in the process, and you won't always connect this pain and the destruction that comes into your life with the sin that occurred earlier on because sin works on a time delay of destruction sin gives me pleasure right now so Hebrews in this hall of faith, this famous passage that teaches us about the heroes of the faith, talking about Moses, says Moses understood he wasn't going to live for the instant gratification of being the adopted prince of Egypt and all the glory, all the honor, all the blessings that comes with living in Pharaoh's home. He'd rather suffer with God's people, rather be persecuted as a child of God than be blessed as an enemy of God. 26 says this, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. If you are going to be successful in the kingdom of God, if you are going to make an eternal impact, if you are going to employ the laws of sowing and reaping to bring blessing into your life, you're going to have to learn to be like Moses and look ahead to your reward. You're going to have to start having some vision of something greater down the road than just simply living in the moment of instant gratification that everything in our culture points to. It says take the easy way out. Take the shortcut. Just do this little thing. It's not going to hurt anybody. And we continue to sow destruction into our flesh. Moses understood something deeper, something deeper greater, you always reap later than you sow. Galatians 6 puts it this way. It says, whoever sows to their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to feed the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, if you give me the choice of destruction or eternal life, that's an easy decision, isn't it? Man, when you put it in black and white terms like that, who among us would choose destruction? None of us. None of us would say that sounds like the better option. And yet time and time again in our daily lives, that's exactly what we choose. Because destruction doesn't look like destruction. It looks like instant gratification. It looks like immediate pleasure. And sowing to the spirit doesn't look like blessing. It looks like denying something. It looks like suffering. It looks like missing out. And so time and again, we choose the thing that brings destruction into our life. Understand this, you always reap later than you sow. We gave that vehicle away 11 years ago. We sold that truck for a $3,500 profit a couple of weeks ago. You always reap later than you sow. But understand this, you will reap. Man, there will be a harvest when you sow good seed. Amen? Amen. These three principles are taught, common, taught commonly in the church. Caught commonly. And I just reversed that. Uh, they are commonly taught in the church. They are universally taught. They are well known and taught frequently and often, but I think they're missing a couple of other pieces of God's puzzle when it comes to sowing and reaping. I want to share with you two other principles that I think we need for a complete fi- picture of these universal laws. Number four is this you also reap. What others sow. Now, this may seem contradictory. When I say you always reap what you sow, understand that is universally true. In other words, every seed you put in the ground is going to produce a harvest in your life a harvest of good or a harvest of bad, a harvest of blessing or a harvest of destruction. Every seed you put in the ground is going to produce something. However, you're going to get more things come into your life than just what you sow. You will also reap. What others so? Let me show it to you scripturally. In John chapter 4, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. He's just had a conversation with the woman at the well, if you're familiar with the story. And the disciples come back and they confront Jesus because, Jesus, how dare you? You're talking to a woman. You're a rabbi. You're a Jew talking to a Samaritan. They they were very offended that Jesus would have a conversation with this lady because it seemed inappropriate to them. And in the midst of this conversation, Jesus speaks some things over the disciples that I believe he's also speaking over us. He says this, John four thirty eight. He says, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Dwindle told you that Back in 2017, we were getting ready to renovate our storefront. We had raised some money and had a whole plan for a renovation and literally about 2 days before the renovations were supposed to start, we got a phone call. It said, "Hey, there's this building available. Do you guys want it?" And my immediate reaction was, "Hey, we just signed a new 3-year lease." We can't get out of the lease, give it to somebody else. And thankfully, I talked to people who were smarter than me, who told me what a dummy I was. Uh, And we said, yes, we'll figure it out. We would like the building. And by God's grace, we were able to eventually get out of that lease and we're able to move in here. And God blessed us immensely in that thing. Well, coincidentally or not coincidentally, we were in a series on God's provision. And the Sunday after that phone call, I was scheduled to teach on John chapter 4 on God's supernatural provision, because when Jesus meets with the woman at the well, he tells her, if you would have asked me, I would have, you, I would have told, given you living water, right? That God provides for us eternally, not just provisionally, not just materially, not just in this life. And as I was studying John chapter four, I came across this passage, and it leapt off the page in me. And it was as if Jesus was saying these words, to us, to city churches. We were getting ready to move over here. That others have come and done the hard work. That others bought six acres of land. That others, by their own blood, sweat, and tears, built this building in three phases. They invested in it. They prayed over it. They prayed over a community that there's so much seed in the ground over here for 50 years. And that God in his goodness and in his sovereignty is blessing us and allowing us to move into this place and to reap a harvest that we didn't sow for, that we didn't pray for, that we didn't fast for, that others did the hard work and he was choosing to bless us and allow us to reap the harvest. What an incredible, incredible honor. As I was thinking this week about the the 18 years of the history of this church, and I haven't been here for all 18, I came about a year and a half in, For the 16 and a half years that I've been here and and watched God work and watched him move and how many people have come and gone, people who are involved, people who led ministries or led small groups or served in different ways or gave or, or prayed or did all kinds of different things and I think about the people that aren't here anymore and man, sometimes it makes me sad. You know, man, I, I miss some of those people, some great friends. Some of them left in awesome ways. Some of them left for, for very legitimate reasons. They had to move or God was calling them to something else. And they left in really good ways. There's some of them who didn't leave in such great ways. And sometimes if I'm being honest, I get a little angry when I think about some of those things. Or I get a little frustrated. And I felt like God said this. Regardless of why they left, regardless of the way that they left, Every one of those people that have been a part of the story of our church over the last 18 years has sowed some seed here. They sowed seed of serving. They sowed seed of praying. They sowed seed of giving. They sowed seed of bringing somebody. In fact, I can look across this room and I can see some of you right now who are here because somebody brought you and that person that brought you has been gone for a long time. But even though they brought you to this place, man, and and, and they chose to leave for whatever reason, good or bad, man, you're still here. And we're still reaping a harvest off of that seed they sowed because they told you about it, because they shared Jesus with you, because they shared the church with you. That that seed is still bearing fruit. See, we reap a harvest based off of other people's seed. What an awesome, awesome truth. The reality is our kids are going to reap a harvest off of our seed. That many of us, we are the harvest of our parents' seed. We grew up in Christian homes. We grew up with praying parents or praying grandmas who, who interceded for us, and we're serving Jesus today because we were blessed to grow up in a home that pointed us to Jesus. I'm certainly an example of that. And my parents sowed good seed into me, and I'm so grateful that I grew up in a home like that. In fact, in Deuteronomy, as Moses is repeating the Ten Commandments, reiterating them, he says this in verse 8. He says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Thank you, Thank you, Sheila but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I don't know if you caught that with the distraction of the water and me addressing that, but but look what it says. It says, the sins of the parents of the fathers are handed down to three and four generations. That's a scary thing. See, I believe that that's not God's punishment specifically. God's not like judging the kids for the sin of the parent, but what happens is we grow up with the consequences of our parents' sin. You grow up in a family of alcoholics, there's a pretty good chance you may become an alcoholic. You grow up in a family that doesn't know how to handle their anger, they shout and they cuss and they call names and and they fight like that, you're probably gonna grow up and fight in ungodly ways. Right, like the, the sins of the fathers are passed down to the kids so often. I also believe we can break generational curses. I also believe that it, that it can stop with us, that, that when we can take authority over that because of what Jesus has done for us. We can be free and we don't have to pass that on to our kids anymore. But he says the sins are passed down to third and fourth generation. That's a scary thing. But you see what he said about the blessings? The blessings of righteousness are passed down for a thousand generations. That means for many of us, if we've got godly people in our family... And in our ancestry, we're reaping a harvest of blessing in our life, of God's goodness in our life, of favor in our life for generations back. Man, for generation upon generation upon generation, that also means that if we choose to sow to the spirit and not to the flesh, we're not just investing in our kids. We're investing in our children's children and their children and however many generations are going to come after them until Jesus comes back. That's an amazing truth. Man, if we could just get a hold of that, if we could just get a picture of vision beyond the moment, beyond the instant gratification, if we could just understand the delayed gratification of the kingdom of God, we'd see that our life matters not just to us, but literally for a thousand generations beyond us. You can reap what others have sown and you are. Think about how many people as we go back in church history sacrificed for the message to get out, sacrificed for the Bible to be translated, sacrificed to send missionaries across the globe to reach your culture or your people or your family. There's sacrifice upon sacrifice in church history that has been passed down to the blessing that we are walking in today. What an amazing, amazing thing. Yes, you will reap what you sow, but you'll also reap what others have sown. What a blessing. What an opportunity we have to sow towards someone else's blessing. Amen? Amen. The last principle of sowing and reaping is this. You also reap what Jesus sowed. This one's the gospel. This is what it's all about, church. That what Jesus has done has been credited to his people. That we are blessed not because of our righteousness, not because of our holiness, not because of our ability to resist sin. Because every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. But we're blessed because Jesus came and overcame sin, because he resisted temptation, because he said no, because he chose not to gratify the flesh, not to give in to the temptation, because he did those things, we receive amazing blessing. In fact, Jesus actually compared himself to a seed. He used this illustration in reference to himself. In John 12, 24, he tells his disciples this. He says, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What's he doing? He's prophesying his death. He's prophesying his resurrection. And he's prophesying your salvation. You're the many seeds that it produces. You're the seed that grew, that lived, that was produced because Jesus laid down his life for us. Yes, you will reap what you sow. Yes, it will bring destruction into your life or it will bring blessing into your life. But you don't only reap what you sow. You also reap what others sow. Praise God, you also reap what Jesus sowed. Jesus sowed righteousness, so you've been given righteousness. Jesus sowed purity, so you've been given purity. Jesus sowed holiness, so you've been given holiness. Jesus sowed self-control, so you've been granted self-control. Everything that Jesus sowed has now been available to his people through the power of his Holy Spirit. You reap what you sow. Don't get me wrong. But you also reap what Jesus sows. What an amazing truth. What an incredible blessing for us to have something credited to our account that we have nothing to do with, that we did nothing to earn. It's called grace, it's called mercy, it's called the gospel. You reap what Jesus has sown. So, understand this, church these five principles, these five universal truths of sowing and reaping. You always reap what you sow, you always reap more than you sow, you always reap later than you sow. You also reap what others have sown, and you also reap what Jesus sowed. What an amazing, amazing truth. What do we do with all this? Well, here's a couple of challenges for you this week. Number one, I want you to evaluate the seed that you're sowing right now. Evaluate the seed that you're sowing specifically in these three areas, your time, your talent, your treasure. How are you sowing seed in those areas? Is there seed that's being sown towards flesh? And by the way, flesh doesn't always mean sin flesh just means stuff that's pleasing to us that produces no eternal harvest, right? There's plenty of fleshly things that aren't sinful. Dwindle dwindle reference one of them, right? Like football. There's nothing wrong with watching football, but football can become an idol in our life. Football can become something that's too important to us. I've been there. I understand that. I had to reevaluate the place I was giving football a few years ago because, man, if my team lost, I was a bad husband the rest of that day. I was a bad father the rest of that day. And I had to to, to reevaluate that, and trust me, there's still times where I struggle with that. I've got to put that thing under control. So football isn't bad, but it can be destructive, right? And we can apply that to a million different things. So what are you sowing into that's bringing destruction into your life? What are you sowing into in the flesh that that you've given too much place in your life? Conversely, what are you sowing into in the spirit? Man, what are you giving yourself to that produces an eternal harvest? And if you see, man, I'm giving myself to a whole lot more flesh than I am spirit, it might be time to, not it might be, it will be time to start reprioritizing those things. I man, to start giving eternal things, to start giving things of, of spiritual significance a greater role in your life, specifically with your time, your talent, and your treasure. So evaluate. Take a hard look at your own heart. A hard look at your own schedule, a hard look at your own checkbook, a a hard look at, at your own giftings, your own talents. Where are these going? Where are my passions going? What am I giving myself to? Does it have eternal value and significance? Secondly, I want you to celebrate the seed that Jesus has sown for you. I want you to worship Him that because of what He's done, you've been set free. And because of what he's done, you've been given eternal life, that because of what he's done, you've been given the ability to walk in his righteousness, his purity, his holiness, his strength, his grace, his forgiveness, that he's given you all of those things. I want you to worship him. In fact, tonight, we've got a chance to do exactly that. Tonight, we've got a chance to to enter into an elongated time of worship and to celebrate with one another as we share our stories and our testimonies of what God's done. So evaluate yourself in those two areas. What am I giving myself to? Where is my seed going? Can it go to something better? Man, if that means you need to get involved, get plugged in, grab one of those serving sheets on your way out. If that means you gotta start giving, man, start to to reevaluate where your money's going. You've got a greater priority in that. If that just means you gotta start changing your attitude so that you're an encourager instead of a discourager, so that you're speaking life instead of speaking death, man. So, so, so that you're a life-giving presence instead of a life-sucking presence, then begin to make those changes. Begin to ask God for his strength and his help and his empowering so that you can sow seed into the right things. Would you pray with me, church?